Tommy Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T in your T-Lo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the Low in your T-Lo, Lorenzo. My case, my lovely husband. Hello. How are you, sweetie? Fine. Good, good, good. Oh, yeah. All right. So, uh, <laughs> what's going on over there? There's nothing going on here. Stuff. Okay, so we have a lot of topics. To, yes. A lot of ground to cover this week. Um... A little bit of a uh, pod priori of topics, so to speak. A smorgasbord. Um, <laughs> we're going to devote the, I guess, the second half of this podcast to the um, Britney Spears documentary that came out, the FX on Hulu, New York Times collaboration. Um, that has been on everyone's uh, minds this week, and everyone's been talking about it this week. We think we have a few things to say that might be coming from a slightly unique perspective as a uh, People who did fashion and celebrity blogging uh, roughly around the period that uh, the documentary really brings the media in for some criticism. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, But we have like a whole truckload of like little conversations to have about um, various television shows and various entertainment news. I... I'm going to throw to you, because I know you, in a minute, but I, I'm going to get the WandaVision stuff out of the way, because mm-hmm. I've been really um, pondering WandaVision since last week. Now, I've seen this week's episode, um, but I'm not really going to get into it. I, it was okay. It wasn't as uh, electrifying as last week's episode, where um, the fourth wall really got broken in the storyline, and, um, spoiler, uh, um, Wanda pulled her brother in uh who has was killed in the um avengers uh age of ultron movie he was introduced and then died in that movie he was played by aaron taylor johnson same character yes. uh quicksilver was or pietro maximoff was also played by evan peters in uh a lot of the latter x-men films uh the reason for that is um it's it's funny. It's just a legal thing. It's uh, in the '90s. Marvel was, believe it or not, going bankrupt as a company, and they sold off the rights to several of their characters, the uh, Spider-Man characters and the X-Men characters, most notably. They sold off to Sony at the time. Spider-Man and the X-Men were like the shining stars in the um, in the Marvel orbit. In in fact, prior to the Marvel Cinematic Universe launching, the actual Avengers were never considered Marvel's premier property. They were never, it was always the X-Men. For at least 25 years, it was the X-Men. And, you know, no tea, no shade against the Avengers, but, uh, I mean, you could rather dismissively just call them a Justice League ripoff because it was essentially the same concept where you were throwing a lot of A-list characters together in one group. So, anyway. uh, So, the X-Men characters got sold off to Sony, and all the X-Men movies were made by Sony. They were not made by Marvel or by Disney, who owns Marvel, so they were never part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. However, Wanda and her brother Pietro existed in this weird liminal space because uh, they were mutant characters that were originated in the X-Men universe. They were uh, originally the children of Magneto, who was played by Ian McKellen and Michael Fassbender in the movies. Um, But they became Avengers Uh uh, at at some point in the the mid-1960s. They moved over to the Avengers, and they became basically, quote-unquote, the property of the Avengers. I don't know what the legality of it was, but for some reason... 
uh, Pietro, for instance, was allowed to be appear in both universes. I think the Aaron Taylor Johnson one that was in Age of Ultron, I think the only reason they were allowed to do it was because he only made that one appearance and they killed him off. Whereas Evan Peters was in like, I think, three um, X-Men movies, possibly four. I lost track of them because they all got uninteresting. Anyway. <laughs> So uh, now Marvel and Sony have reached an agreement on a lot of these characters. For instance, they pulled Spider-Man in from this quote-unquote Sony universe, Tom Holland, and he's now a Marvel character. But those movies are still made by... It's like an agreement between Sony and Marvel. Well, they're about to reach the same agreement, or they have reached the same agreement with the X-Men characters, which means you are going to eventually see, I don't know, Wolverine or Storm. It'll be an all-new cast, probably, um, although maybe not, because in this instance, Evan Peters' character, this is how he was yanked into the storyline. Now, none of this has been explained. It really wasn't even explained in the follow-up episode, which aired today, um, how she did this, what ac- actually happened there. But it's not hard to um, to make some supposition, and I think it's fairly easy to uh, to suggest that she can't resurrect her dead brother, so she pulled in a version of him from another universe. Uh, it making what's interesting about that is it's making a legal issue between two companies into an actual storytelling issue. The reason I'm talking about this is because that really struck me last week as wow, that is so quintessential to long form comic book storytelling, superhero comics. If you were a fan of superhero comics for any length of time, especially in the 20, late 20th century, when Um, comic book companies would routinely acquire characters from other companies. You know, they would buy them. And then suddenly these characters were appearing in their books. Uh, This was more prevalent among the DC comics, but even Marvel acquired comic characters, like I think Rom and Conan were acquired from outside sources and then wound up in Marvel books. Um, But more importantly, what I think it's doing... um, you know, the architects of the Marvel Cinematic Universe may often get overpraised, and I understand that because we aren't talking about high art here, but we are talking about uh, very clever filmmaking and very, very clever long-form storytelling. And uh, part of the reason it's exciting and also the reason it works uh, is because they really did copy how comic books are done. Uh, how superhero comics all exist in a universe and there are editorial domains within the company and they coordinate with each other so that characters can bounce back and forth from books or so that the books can all come together and tell one big story, the classic comic book crossover story. And I tried to relate this on Twitter and I'm going to say this here. As a longtime comic fan, and I think old school fans will understand this, um, you know that thrill that you got the first time you saw characters in a crossover together. And also that thrill that you got the first time you saw um, your faves up on screen, realized in, in, in real life, played by an actor, wearing a costume. Sometimes that can be very, very emotional coming from a nerd. Uh, comic book, uh, if you're a comic book nerd of old school, you lived in those worlds. You, it was both a visual and a, and a verbal medium. So it allowed you, to, but it didn't have an oral component or a movement component like film does. So it's a unique experience to read that and then to see that realized up on screen. It's different from reading a book, picturing a character, and then having someone um, 
do their interpretation when that book is turned into a movie. It, with comic books, you get the image, but now the image has been translated into another medium. And th that stirs something in an old school fan. I am not the only, I, I've known many old school fans and we've talked about this, especially back in the day. It's a deeply emotional thing to see your favorite up there for the first time, if it, especially if it's done well. Um, and what I think WandaVision is doing is that they are translating that experience to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and its viewers who are not all necessarily old. In fact, the majority of them are not old school comic book fans. That's right. why it's so damn successful uh -huh. is because it, it, they turned it into a worldwide phenomenon. So when... Uh, you know, Elizabeth Olsen opens the door and Evan Peters is standing there. It just triggers something. The way people reacted to it last week, the way the hard, the hardcore like Marvel Cinematic Universe fan, universe fans were reacting to it, like on social media and all that. Uh, I was like, wow, it's exactly the same thing. It really triggers your nerd buttons because you're seeing something that's coming. You're seeing things come together that you never expected to see come together, and. With Evan Peters, anyone who followed the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the X-Men Universe, and even may have followed all the legal issues surrounding those universes, you immediately get the implications of him showing up on her doorstep. Like, oh my god, this really opens up the whole multiverse thing, and does this mean the X-Men are coming into them? And I know if you're not invested in any of that, none of that makes sense to you, but... Um, to those of you who are watching WandaVision, who are fans of the Avengers movies, and you can't quite explain why this show is pushing your buttons, my theory is that it is doing that old-school nerd button pushing, except you're not a comic nerd, you're a movie nerd. Um, but it is the exact... I had the exact same feeling as if I had turned the final page on a comic book, and it was a big splash page with a shock ending, and oh my god, what does this mean? Um, so that's it. I, I, I'm... Enjoying WandaVision very much, but I'm looking at it from the perspective of someone who's been reading these characters for 40 years in one form or another. Right. And seeing the larger public respond to them, like the story of Wanda and Vision, the story of Wanda going a little crazy or Vision living in the suburbs. These stories have been told in the comics. They actually define both of these characters. But just in a very different way, right? But it's in a very different way. They have reinterpreted it right. by making it about sitcoms. It's all very, very clever. But if you're not invested in the history of those characters, it's not going to push the same buttons that it's pushing for the people who, you know, right. know all the Avengers movies It's and interesting because I've been watching uh, WandaVision with you. And then you explain things to me, and then that's maybe why I appreciate it a little more. I wonder if I didn't have that sort of like... I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure anyone who wasn't running, invested in yeah. the Marvel Universe, it'd be a confusing mess. I didn't like the first couple episodes because it went too far into sitcom pastiche, mm -hmm. and it wasn't really telling a story yet. And I think if you didn't know these characters and you thought it was just sitcom pastiche to get to where it is at this point where it's it's a full-on marvel right, right. production um it would be a huge turnoff to people right i kind of like the mix uh because <coughs> i'm a you know i'm a 40s and 50s huge huge fan of sitcoms and movies and so on so i enjoyed it a lot um and anyway it was just interesting to me now i have a question for you i find that interesting that a comic book nerd or someone very interested in comic book would would be okay with characters 
coming from different wor- world to play together. I find that interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking... It's, like I said, it's endemic in the experience of reading comic books. If you read the Avengers and suddenly the X-Men are guest starring in the Avengers, uh, that's normal. That happens. That there are even comics, this means nothing to you, but there's a, a, a JLA, a Justice League and Avengers comic book. They are owned by two separate companies. Right, right. And they published a comic together. There's comics where Superman and Spider-Man meet. That's part of it interesting <clears throat> there's a thrill a nerd thrill in mm-hmm. seeing that happen i s- pray to all the gods of nerddom that this <laughs> never ever happens but if wanda opened that door and darth vader was standing there again people would melt down and freak the hell out it would be a terrible thing to be <laughs> honest but it it's just that action of combining two completely different fictional worlds and then Showing you the implications of that, I and guess. And the possibilities are the possibilities of it. Yeah, are, are endless too. Because well, I mean, it just these, means these you can bring all the X Men characters yeah, right, in, right. or what, or recast them all. Right. I know Hugh Jackman's never going to play Wolverine again, and I know Marvel if they want to, because uh, right now in the comics, I think Wolverine's a member of the Avengers, so they're going to want to recast Wolverine anyway. Um, those are my thoughts on WandaVision, which actually went on a little bit longer than I planned because, you know, you get this nerd started and he'll just keep going. <laughs> now, Lorenzo, I'm turning the mic over to you because you have a new obsession. But it, it's a great show. Uh, uh, WandaVision, I, I think it's a great show. Okay. Um, anyway, so I've been watching a lot of shows, and but I want to talk about one in particular uh, that I read about and didn't know much about it, which is my favorite t- way of watching shows. I didn't know anything about this person. It's the, an HBO show called The Lady and the Dale, which is a show about uh, Elizabeth Carmichael. And uh, is this woman back in the 70s, she created this car of the future. She came up with this idea of, of uh, making this car. Uh, it wasn't her original idea, but she kind of developed it. And uh, she wanted to create this car. It was a time in the 70s when there was a gas crisis and uh, people were looking for ways to save gas and to create a car that would save gas. And she decided to create this car, develop this idea that someone else had, and it just exploded. Um, She was all over the news. Uh, The uh, automobile industry was after her and there was this whole thing going on with her. A, developing a car that was completely different from what people were used to in the 70s and being a woman uh, in, in, in charge of all this um, with all this power to create a car that would, you know, in her mind and at the time would take over and be, you know, be this incredible idea to save gas and, uh, you know, create an incredible design. So it's this, I mean, there's so many layers, <laughs> there's so many stories going on at the same time. That is the main story, but there's so much to it. Um, well, it. I didn't know this, and they explain later, of course, that Elizabeth Carmichael is a transgender woman in the 70s. Um, when, you know, people didn't really know how to approach this. So there's, so it's, it, the whole story is fascinating because they, they come after her, uh, the media, the reporters, everybody, uh, the automobile industry, they all come after her because she's a woman. So there's this whole story going on, uh, uh, being told in the documentary about how she's treated because she's a woman, because she's a woman developing a, 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 a car, something that, you know, only men 
uh, dealt with, uh, especially back in the 70s. So you have this incredible woman with this incredible idea, very articulate. She can talk her way out of anything and, and, you know, make you believe anything. And she's a woman. And then, of course, she gets all the attention of the media. She gets all the reporters all over her in her office interviewing her. She's on the cover of magazines and everything. And then they find out about her past. So... And that's exactly what the me- you know how the media is and the por- reporters are. They found out that she's a transgender woman. Uh, so there's a whole new world open to these people, um, whole new story to develop and 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 talk about, which is the fact that she is a transgender woman. So it's fascinating because the story itself of of having this woman. Uh, oh, and it gets better. She she's a con artist. She's a scammer. <laughs> Someone who devoted her entire life to scams. I mean, she was married three times. Have she has children? um, Had children, uh, and um, she was a con artist. And and she the the the, you know the uh, authorities would come after her, and she would move from town to town with her family. So the the documentary is fascinating on so many levels because they interview the kids and the kids talk about moving from town to town, having, having her, you know, originally her father become her mother, uh, and how that whole played out, um, that whole story played out. And, um, they did a very the 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 creators of the documentary, uh, did a very good job because they actually had guests. They had transgender people, uh, talking about the issues of a transgender woman back in the 70s and how it is to be a transgender and how it was at the time. So the whole thing is fascinating. Uh, it's beautifully done. They use animation. I love when, when documentaries use animation, especially because there's so much to talk about that it's hard to to follow what they're saying and because the story keeps developing and going, you know, crazier and crazier. Uh, but anyway, um, it's a fascinating story about a woman who had an idea uh, incredible idea, but because it was in an industry that most men uh, were in charge, she's uh, crucified, she's, you know, criticized, she's everything. Right. And then when they find out that she's actually a transgender woman, then things get even worse. And because she had the past that she had, then it gets even more complicated. Than, it's, it's a fascinating documentary. I highly recommend it. Um, it's several episodes. I think they're going to air the episode, the last episode soon. Um, but anyway, and where, where is it? It's HBO. I, I mentioned that. Oh. So it's HBO. It's called the lady and the Dale. The car is called the Dale. And you can actually Google and, and find pictures of the car. If you want to take a look at the car too, but it's an incredible story, a story about being a woman, story about being a transgender in, in the seventies, a story about a woman with power, with a woman with ideas, um, it's a fascinating story and I find it fascinating most of all to, to, to keep it short is that it's, it's someone with a brilliant mind using the wrong tools yeah. to, to get somewhere. Uh, I kept watching the, the documentary and, and thinking if she hadn't done all the things she did in the past as a con artist, maybe this idea, you know, maybe the reporters wouldn't have gone after her, uh, and found, you know, and, and, you know, and, and leave her alone, or maybe she would have more opportunity, or maybe she was just a con artist, and, and her idea was just bullshit. So I'll let you guys decide. I highly recommend watch it. Uh, I think you enjoy it. 
But that's that. The Lady and the Dale on Excellent. HBO. Thank yeah. you for that book report, Lorenzo. Yes. Okay. Um, so no, out. interesting. Thank I do want. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll I'll take it from here. Uh, I do have to catch that because it sounds fascinating, and I know you've been engrossed by it. All right. Um, last week we did a little bit of a haphazard discussion about the Sex in the City Sex reboot. The reboot City. called. Um, what's it called? I don't. Oh. Something I, I don't it's remember. It's catchphrase. I can't um, remember what it's called now. Jesus Christ. I know. Um, and just like that. that. And just like that. There you go. Okay. And just like uh, that but so we have some news, and it's interesting how people reacted to this news. It came out this week by one of the show's producers, because they're talking it up. Um, it was a, a press tour in Canada, and the HBO uh, chief uh, content officer there you go. Uh, spoke, uh, Casey Bloy. Bloy. Uh -huh. Blois, I'm sorry, Casey Blois, I believe it's his name. Uh, he addressed the whole thing. The, the fact that the show is going to be focusing more on the um, fact they move on, that they're in the 50s now. And that, you know, they. he also talks about addressing uh, the issue of, of, of uh, Samantha Jones, a character, not being part of the story anymore. Yes, he, he told the press that... Um... Because there has been a lot of speculation how the show was going to proceed without Kim Cattrall, who made it very clear in a public brawl with Sarah Jessica Parker that lasted several years that she had no interest in coming back to this. So um, there was a lot of speculation. I believe we speculated on this podcast. We wondered, a lot of people wondered if they were going to kill her off, which I actually thought would have been crass. Uh, it would have felt like a punishment of the actress for not coming back. But apparently a lot of people felt differently because it came, he said in this, in this um, meeting or whatever, this public presentation, that um, she just faded away. Like Samantha Jones just is no longer in their lives and they don't see her anymore. Mm -hmm. And this huge outcry, people are like, oh my God, this is the worst way to handle this. And I'm like, yeah, I, once again, I think I'm reacting to a pop culture issue through the lens of my age. Yes, yes. And, um... Coming up to a coming to a conclusion that differs from a lot of people who comment on pop culture, specifically because they're so much younger than I am. Um, sorry, don't mean to pull the ageism card here, but um, the idea of um, it's actually weird to, to think about people in their fifties still being close close friends with the people they were going clubbing with thirty years before. It's not common. Um, as you get older, uh, um, friendships change and people do actually move in and out of your life. And there were people on social media, like writers, cultural writers who were like, that's ridiculous. She was by their side for all of these things. And I, and I thought about it and, um, I'm not going to get into the particulars of it, but I was with people 30 years ago through some incredibly intense moments in their lives and I can name a half dozen off the top of a hat that I haven't seen in 10 years. Uh, like right. super intense, like way more than anything that Samantha did. You know, like drug problems. And and I don't see those people anymore because they fade away. They move away, whatever. Go ahead. Right. But I do think there's a, a tiny bit of difference here. When you're, when you're a gay man or a gay person or a queer person, you tend to sort of like... <clears throat> move away, move out of the city because people don't understand you, they don't accept you, and then you, you know, you tend to break those relationships because you move to I don't another. think that's a gay male thing. No, but I think, it, I, I don't know, I just, I, it's based on my experience, I feel like uh, the street people that I know 
uh, because they're few more together, they, they have relationships and they have the husbands and, and kids and all that. And it's sort of like a more expected kind of life. I don't, I don't know. I just feel like they, they keep their, their, their relationships for longer, for longer. Or, I don't think that's I don't true. Know. I, maybe that I really don't. I think, um, this is true of a lot of people. Once you hit middle age, you're just regardless, you're just not having the same intense friendships that you had when you were in your thirties. Um, especially if there are major life changes going on and the fact, and I, I've talked about this on Twitter this morning when people were really outraged by this, I was like, well, those three women got married. Two of them had children. Samantha was not only opposed to that, her whole life was in opposition to that. Right. Um, their lifestyles didn't fit her lifestyle at all. And the character had moved to LA. She never moved back to New right. York. So all of this, I'm, I, I, I see no outrage here. Um, I know that, um, yeah, I, I know that I think some people are hurt at the, at the prospect of them not being friends anymore. And I'm just like, I, I don't mean to sound cold, but I'm sorry, that happens. That happens to people in their 50s. You're not necessarily friends with the same people you were in your 30s, even if those friendships were intense for your 30s. Right. I think, I don't know. It, it, I think the whole thing is fascinating. And, I, and maybe we're talking about so much, the media, the people on Twitter and so on, is because we kind of know what's going on with the actresses. <laughs> don't you think? I felt this pays homage to it. Like, yeah, Kim Cattrall is no longer friends right, with them, right. so why don't we just make that the story? Maybe it's honest. Maybe if we didn't know any of that, what happened and what supposedly happened, you right. know, maybe we just go like, all right, one of the characters not coming back, that's fine. But because we because know... Because we're so raising our expectations. Yes, we're raising yeah. our expectations and, and our outrage in a way, too. I mean, if you don't know, a lot of people don't know, obviously, uh, Kim Cattrall and um, Sarah Jessica Parker, they, they had some fights, public fights, uh, uh, arguments about uh, the show. And, and and again, this is all out there. And supposedly that Kim Cattrall was treated a certain way by the other actresses, correct? Um, that's I the, think so, yeah. Yeah, she says, yeah, she talked about that and, and then how, yeah, how she contract, stuff with contracts and everything and how, you know, Kim Cattrall was more naked, you know, on the show right. than, than the other ones and how there was like some sort of click. Uh, uh, and yeah, she felt alone most of the time, but she felt that she didn't have a voice, that she was kind of forced to do the thing she was supposed to do as, as you know, playing the character. This is all her out there talking. Uh, you know, I, I have no proof of anything, but that's why she she got she was fed up with the show, fed up with with that character, and didn't want to come back. And you can tell. I mean, even when they were making the movies, uh, there are hints here and there when she gave interviews that I don't think she even wanted to do the movies. Uh, she was kind of like forced yeah, to do the know. movies, and then it got to a point they were like, "All right, enough." Uh, I and then it got very uh, you know raw and and, and explicit i don't i don't know the the conversation they're 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 back and forth on 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 instagram and everywhere um yeah it got ugly um so i think knowing all this uh you feel like all right that's the first question everybody had in their mind you know like all right is she coming back it's you know is she gonna play the character and she doesn't want to play the character and then they're you know they're gonna have to do something about it to justify her not being on the show 
And, you know, I, whatever, let's see. Let's see what happens. I, I said I, it's, a, it's literally the first interesting thing I've heard about the show uh, was that, the, that they're treating Samantha this way. I, some people are really outraged by it. And I was like, well, that's actually the first take that I'm like, well, this could be interesting. Are they right. really going to explore aging and how, what it does to your relationships and how your life is just different? Um I know a few things that uh, were said in that actually, well, a couple things. One is that they hired black writers and writers of color for the for this, which is good. It makes it sounds like they are committed to not pre presenting a lily white version of New York, which was a major criticism of the first series. Uh, and I, I know that um, I don't think some of the husband actors have been brought back yet. Uh, they have not confirmed that they're going to be on the show, so. I don't think, yeah, I, I know the gay characters, uh, Stanford and Anthony, were not, have not been asked back yet. Um, and again, to me, this doesn't feel like, a, I, I think this feels normal. Uh, I think that is what happens in middle age for a lot of people, um, that, you know, your friendships shift over time, and you're not always hanging out with the exact same crowd of people. I would think it weird, actually. It was like when Will and Grace came back, I was like, wow, these people are really interested in development. They just don't know anybody else but each other. Um, and I wouldn't want to see that. So it's kind of, if anything, now I'm intrigued. Now, I wonder if the four of them have grown apart and what we'll see is the three coming back together. Um, that would be interesting to me. I, I, I know right. people seem to be very upset by this idea, but I don't know. It's freaking life. It happens. There doesn't have to be these big fallouts. There doesn't have to be these big dramatic moments. People drift apart. It happens. Um, I don't have a problem with that. I just, I just hope they do a good job explaining that to the audience. Well, we'll see. Because um, we, you, we've seen stories like that in the past uh, that, you know, they, they tell, uh, you know, a movie com comes back or a TV show comes back and they talk about a character not being there anymore because it died, character died or whatever. But there's talk about it in a way that it, it's, I don't know, makes sense. I don't know. I would hate it if they sat around talking about Samantha all the time. I really would. So but I, I think I, we're... Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I, it's just hard. It's also hard for me to understand or to accept that those girls were, because they were, you know, young ladies at the time, they were like together all the time and all of a sudden one is gone. And unless she died, I don't see an explanation. I don't understand all of a sudden here. It has literally been 11 years since we've seen them on screen yeah, together. But the, the other three are together. So one You don't know that. Oh, true, true. Yeah, it's funny yeah. that you're having a problem with this. I have literally no, no I don't problem have with a this. Problem. My problem is a strong word. I just have some questions about it. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just weird that okay, if that's where they're going, um, they're not necessarily together as friends anymore. Then that that much better. If they go with your version, then perfect. But if they're like together as friends and you know kids again, go to the same I have no problem whatever, with that. And then well, one just. Boop, disappear. Eleven years uh, have passed since we've seen them. The, anything could have happened in eleven years. True. Well, yeah. Yeah. Everyone's holding know. on to this I idea to that they come back and they're all going to be the same. And I'm like, that would be tragic to watch if mm -hmm. they were all tottering around the city in stiletto heels and trying know, to attend club yeah. openings, um, and and seeing each other every single week, three times. Like, I'm sorry, but they had kids to raise and businesses to run and careers and everything, and. Uh, that wasn't sustainable. The show right. ended when at, at right at the point when it stopped becoming sustainable. So 
if they're coming back, I the only reason to come back is to show yeah. a, a very different lives. The bottom line to me is that I don't think the show should have should, should return at all. Um, Same uh, here. So that's the thing. I don't think it should return, and uh, it, that yeah. Uh, but we'll, I'm going to watch it obviously, uh, just to see what what happens. I may not watch the whole thing, but we'll see. Okay, moving on. Uh, we wanted to talk about the big story of the week on on the celebrity front, which is, as I said earlier, the New York Times FX on Hulu documentary. Um, I always forget the name of it. Framing Britney? Uh, it's framed something. I forget now. But anyway, it's on... Um... Framing Britney Spears. Okay. So uh, I'm just going to give my thoughts mm-hmm. and and then... Because we didn't watch it at the same time. I actually watched it and then came to you and said, you know, you need to watch this because I need to talk about my feel- <laughs> my feelings. I need to make this all about me. <laughs> um, it's a good documentary. I would actually say it's not a great documentary, but I'm actually looking at the, as, as a piece of filmmaking, I, I had some issues with it. Like but what? I was thinking of this earlier and I, I honestly feel like, well... It doesn't matter what my issues are, because at the end of the day, this documentary did what every documentarian pretty much hopes to do, which is change the conversation around their subject. Uh, so it accomplished that on an enormous level. Frickin' um, Justin Timberlake just put out an apology today. Oh, just he did? like an hour oh, wow. ago. I'm reading. Wow. Yes. Wow. Uh, literally changed the conversation, not only around Britney Spears, but around our idea of celebrity culture and celebrity media. So this is why I was watching it with, uh, uh, I want to say my heart in my throat a little bit. Um, while it did not, as a documentary, it did not bring in, say, blog culture of the early aughts or the late aughts, uh, specifically for criticism. It really went after the media, the celebrity media. But in the wake of all, uh, of this documentary, there have been a lot of conversations about blogging celebrity culture back. Mm-hmm. I mean, Perez Hilton's been coming up. A lot. I don't think they even mentioned him. He, in... he, he showed, he, yeah, there's like one second of him talking. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is there? Yeah, there's one, like <coughs> a minute or two. But there's been a lot British, of talk about yeah, Perez Hilton. And I don't know if you've ever heard us say this. Uh, we've mentioned it once or twice on this podcast before. When we launched in 2006, literally, literally, our one of our first conversations about launching a blog was I don't want people to confuse us with Perez Hilton. Um, and I'm really not trying to diss the guy. I have always paid him um, a certain amount of respect because if you think what he did was easy, it was. No. It takes a lot of work and a certain level of talent. It also takes a shamelessness. Don't get me wrong. But I don't want to take away that he built a media empire Mm -hmm. single-handedly. And as someone who has been doing this, all you know, trust me, that does not just fall in your lap. It just, you know. I will pay the man and his due. And developed a format that was uh, emerging at the time. Uh, you know, like and he the, took advantage of it. Right. And don't get me wrong, he was shameless and undignified. And there was a lot about it that really turned us off. And we actively worked against in our own blogging careers. And probably didn't make nearly as much money as he did because oh God, of no. it. No. Um, believe me, we could have been a lot more shameless in our careers and probably made more money. But... I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back, although I will pat myself on the back for this. Um, So I'm watching this and I'm thinking about our earliest, earliest blogging. And I'm like, God, I know, I know we mentioned her a couple of times, like in 2007, 2008. I remember she did a VMAs performance that was very lazy and people thought she was drunk or whatever. And we really slammed her for it. 
Um, but that post isn't out anymore. I can't find it. I don't think it's, you know, whatever. However, um, I did a search on our on our current site, on all our Britney, because we don't cover her that much. Uh, she's not a red carpet person, and we don't do celebrity gossip. We never did. So we don't cover Britney all that much. She shows up at the VMAs or the Grammys or something like that, and every once in a while we'll do a red carpet post. But right. I did find a post. I believe it's the oldest Britney post on our current site, and it goes back to like 2010 or 2011. Where we wrote, we said, we don't actually want to cover Britney too much because we don't want to contribute to whatever issue she's having in her life. We I actually said that. that but... And I was like, whew, thank God. Because um, I would have, well, first off, I would have felt terribly if I had been part of that culture in any significant way, if I had allowed myself to get caught up in it. But um, if... If I had looked over our coverage of her and felt that we had really gone over the line, I would have also felt the need to to make some sort of public reckoning for it. And I will say that I did. I looked over the what limited posts we have on her, and I really don't have much of a problem with what we've said about her. The only thing is that uh, in you know going six, seven years ago, we regularly used the word slutty to describe her outfits, to describe her style, not to describe her. It's a word as a style descriptor we stopped using seven or eight years ago, but right. we did back in the day. Uh -huh. That is the worst thing that we ever wrote about her. But for the most part, all of our coverage of her acknowledged the fact that she's not a style girl. It's fine that she's, her tastes are a little tacky. We likened her over the years to people like Cher, who was also a very tacky pop star. Um, and that was it. Uh, that's the extent of our coverage of Britney Spears. I'm just thankful and also grateful that we were i think smart enough back then to understand that we didn't want to be a part of that culture you were talking about and a lot of people were talking about how shocking it is to see these these interviews with britney some of them from the 90s when she's a teenager and these adult people are shaming her are asking her about her breasts asking her about whether she's had sex and i even I was like, wow, I I thought I had a handle on how much things had changed in the last 25. But wow, we really, really were awful about this sort of stuff back in the 90s. And I said to you, I was like, we had this thing in the 90s where we were like Princess Diana, Monica Lewinsky, Marsha Clark. We were just picking these women, um, what's her name, uh, Anna Nicole Smith. Right. And just elevating them and then tearing them to shreds under the most misogynistic right. Right. terms and reasons. It's just, what I find interesting about that is that, first of all, I, I don't watch talk shows. Um, I never liked them. Um, so watching all that footage, you know, with people interviewing her, I'm like, oh my God, these questions are horrible. Horrible. And, and it's just shaming her on TV. It's not even like actually talking about it, but it, it here's my chance to shame you. Uh, when they, when Diane Sawyer asked her about, oh, what did you do to poor little Justin Timberlake? You know, right, pretty much. Right, right. Oh, and this this uh, woman, the mayor, uh, the wife, she's the uh, governor of Maryland or something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like that. She said she would shoot you. You know, and how can you phrase a question like that to a teenager? To a teenager? To someone in front of you? I, you know, I, of course I'm not Britney Spears, but I thought for a minute if I was like being interviewed like that. Well, Tom Lorenzo, you, you know, someone said that they would shoot you for what you right, were doing. Right. It. 
I mean, how can you phrase a question like that? Of course, she started crying and, and, right. and asked to stop the interview because it's just horrible, absolutely horrible. And the body parts and all that, just the way. And then at the same time, they show uh, uh, Justin uh, Timberlake being in. It's like a, a, a radio interview or something. Right. And then, you know, this Jew guy is talking about women. And then the guy pressures <laughs> him to talk about having sex with her. Right. Um, and then he says it, you know, it's just in this very, very uh, horrible way. You know, very, uh, yeah, it's just horrible. Uh, every, so all the interviews, everything, just the way they approach her and, and talked about her on TV is just horrifying. And it's interesting because if you watch the documentary, one of the things I notice is that uh, she's really an innocent, innocent, like a little a girl. Yeah. In the beginning of the, the the documentary, we really, and I guess still do, have issues with young girls mm-hmm. uh, being sexual. Right. Um, I mean, when you look at that footage, and I will, I mean, I'm older than Britney, so when she was doing all that, you know, oops, I did it again, and all, hit me, baby, one more time. Um, I was like, mm, that's a little tacky. Like, I mean, it felt exploitive at the time. I, I, and I, you know, there were adults around her who were letting her be that way. On the other hand, um, I don't know, like, was it an expression of herself? It, it feels like it really was an expression of herself. Right. She seemed to, and I think the documentary makes this point, and it's actually a really sad, I mean, there's so much about it that's sad is that she was this young performer who was just incandescent with talent and with ambition and right. all, and she just loved, loved, loved performing. And people just kept ripping her to shreds for being really good at the kind of performing she was doing. Right. And, it, and there is also that fact that uh, the media does it a lot, and even the public does it a lot, uh, is to sort of like think that what you do as a performance is ex- it, it's ex- equals to what you are in real life. Right. So playing those roles, playing that naughty girl and, you know, wearing a school uniform, that's what she is in real life. You know, she's that revealing and sexual. Uh, when sometimes you're not, you're a teenager, you're just going with whatever is happening at the time, which I'm not saying it's right. But at the time, there was this, in the 90s especially, women were like that, were treated like that. Right. There was this se- over, overly sexual uh, idea of everybody um, or... or uh, personification of every of every celebrity out there a singer actor or, or you know anyone performing in a way especially women right. so it's interesting to see that and 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 at the same time they go after her i mean i the, the diane sawyer interview i can't forget it it's just, it was just yeah. so horrible i mean she comes and you know she's i i will say with some pride i have always i remember back in the day because she doesn't really work anymore i always loathed diane sawyer's Uh interviewing style because that was a quintessential diane sawyer interview where she um i hated this about her she play acts through the interview barbara walters used to do the same thing where it was like it, she, they they would act shocked at certain right, responses right. and and just pearl clutch over certain and I'm like that is so first off judgmental as right, hell like right. you just and it's so non journalistic like why are you being so why are you play acting all your responses um, the point isn't that Diane Sawyer really thought Britney Spears was a slut. The point is that Diane Sawyer's understood that for her network television audience, it made her look better. Right. 
if she judged this teenage right, girl. Right. So she play acts this interview. I always load that about Matt Lauer, same damn thing. Oh and he's God, in there. Yes, yes. So awful, smarmy awful. and moralistic yes, in his yes. interviewing style. And look what he freaking turned out to be. So yes, the great thing about uh um Framing Britney Spears. I want to say shaming Britney Spears. That's why I keep getting tripped up on the um, mm -hmm. name. Well, but they, it's framing. they were shaming her. But it's That's just it. Uh, but it does work as a wonderful indictment of the press and of celebrity culture. Now, of course, what you're seeing, Perez, I looked him up this morning just now, like on Twitter. He's arguing that, you know, and other Us Magazine editors said the same thing where it was like, yes, we did all this stuff, but it was the public that wanted it. Right, so in right. a way, we're all to blame. Right. And I'm it, like, it, uh... it's, it's very interesting because they interviewed the uh, paparazzi <coughs> photographer. That paparazzi guy was who, an who, asshole. I know, who took the pictures of her uh, smashing the window with, with the umbrella. Um, and the way his thought process, the way he's justifying everything. Like an abuser. I'm like, that is nuts. You really don't get yeah. You don't get it. You really don't get it. You really don't get why she did it and what drove her to do that. Uh, and instead of backing away, you know, from it, um, um, you just stayed there and took pictures because you knew. And you, he even says in, in the documentary, you know, it was a good day for me. Right. Because he made, you know, millions of dollars with that picture. So it, it, it's unbelievable to watch the whole thing uh, in terms of the press and the media and reporters and how you treat women how you, you know, still, I mean, I just talk about something that happened in the 70s with the documentary of the transgender uh, uh, woman. And then, you know, in the 90s, it's still the same thing. Uh, right. And it's, it's, it's fascinating and, and, and heartbreaking to see that happening to someone who's so talented, uh, who just wants to do what she wants to do. Right. And then, you know, and you tear that person down. And not only just that, but I had heard, sometimes I just don't go too far reading about things but i i i read many times about uh free britney but i didn't know all the details about it until i saw the documentary. i have separate thoughts about that yeah it's it's interesting and it's you know i think one of the things that the attorney uh she tried to hire an attorney to represent her and and then he ended up not doing it but one of the things he says in the documentary that i found very interesting he said you don't know what you don't know so I'm not defending anyone. I'm not accusing anyone. But we really don't know all the facts. But we do know it does. To me, it sounds like she is in a cage. I mean, she is not doing what she thinks she should be doing. Uh, she's in a situation where things are controlled. That's all I'm going to say. I don't know any information. Yeah, I don't have any information. I don't know anything. But it does feel like she's in a situation where she has no control over a lot of things. Yeah. And, you know, this whole conservatorship thing, it's, I see why it's necessary in, 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 in certain situations, um, why you need to have that. Um, but at the same time, it's a very scary tool to uh, take away someone's freedom. Um, I'm not saying it's the case here. Again, people, I don't have facts. I don't know. Yeah, that's why I don't really want to get it. I, I mean, don't for wanna, myself, I don't want to. But it is very sad to see her father fighting so hard to have control of everything, uh, including the money. And at the same time, she's fighting for him not... I mean, there is something wrong here. If you're fighting for your father not to have control of what he has right now, there's something going on here. We don't have all the details. I don't have the details. I don't want to speculate. But it, it's just sad. The whole thing is very sad. Right. I, you know, 
like I said, I my focus. I, yeah, I don't want to get into the conservatorship. Like I, you said, there's just uh, I don't know. I I could say the wrong thing, and I it's not my area. Um, my area of interest was always the media coverage and how she was covered at the time, what it reflects about our culture, and whether or not we participated. Um, you know, if there's a common sort of complaint that'll sort of come up every now and then in our comment section, it's that you guys change, you don't write the way you did. Uh, and I don't know if I've ever said this, but, um, my, my that is like the nicest thing you can say. Like, if that's the complaint, well, I'm sorry, but that's good. That's good to hear. As a writer and as a human being, I don't want to be the same as I was 14, 15 years ago. I want to have changed and evolved and grown. And we've talked about this, I've talked about this over the years, is, is the ways in which we had to learn not to be so judgmental. And yes, I understand that when we initially made our fame, it was, you know, fabulous and opinionated and we, you know, bitchy, bitchy, bitchy. But I, we both over the years were like, that is not really what I want to be. That is not the legacy I want to be. I just don't want to be bitchy. Uh, it's such a cliche when in the very, very brief, 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 believe me, it was a blip in our lives period where we were meeting with producers, television producers uh, and network executives about possible, you know, expanding beyond the blog onto television to a person. They all wanted us to be bitchy, loud queens. Um, and listen, I, again, if you've listened to our podcast for some time, of course we are bitchy and catty, but we're not two big screaming queens, the kind that you would see on reality television. And, and that was a choice on our part. We just didn't want to be that. And the same thing happened with our coverage of celebrity, especially women, celebrity women and young celebrity women, uh, because we are covering things like celebrity fashion. A lot of them are going to be young. Those are the women who are really indulging, getting the contracts and everything like that. So they're going to be, you know, under 40. Um, and as that's the thing. And I thought of this as we were, as I was watching the Britney thing. It's really interesting because um, we got older. We've been doing this for 15 years. But the the average age of the people we cover stayed the same. So now you're at a stage, we're at a stage in our blogging career where we are literally covering up and coming celebrities that are literally half our age. And there's a responsibility in how you cover, like just looking at people like Matt Lauer and Diane Sawyer and the way they acted with someone who could have been their own child. Uh, it's just egregious. It's just horrible to see adults treating young celebrities. I don't care that they're famous or they're rich. Maybe maybe they're assholes and they're entitled and they're, they treat their personal assistants terribly. But at the end of the day, you are someone old enough to be their parent and you're saying bitchy things about how she looks in a dress. Um, that had to change for us or we would not remain, we would not remain and, viable. And that's the reason why we focus on the fashions and, and what they're, what we can visually, literally see. Right. Uh, and not gossip about them, what, what they're doing, what they did and, and stuff like that, because you really don't know. One of the things that I've learned uh, having these meetings to have our own show, which it's when I think about it now, it's crazy. Cringeworthy. I don't yeah, even I know, want horrible. to. Uh, or when we were on actual TV shows as guests and stuff, is that you, uh, on various levels, of course, but you get manipulated to do certain things. Yes. Uh, and if you don't have a real good control of yourself, uh, you easily say yes to all these things. And and it, before you know it, they're just taking you to some place that you didn't want to be. Uh -huh. But but you, you're there anyway because you still have a goal. 
you still want to do something. And you think that saying yes to that thing will take you there, eventually take you there where you want to be. Uh, and sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So watching this documentary, I think the number one lesson is that it's very easy when you become that big, surrounded by so many people making decisions, it, how easy it is for you to lose control of your life, right. of your decisions, uh, decision uh, you know making process. You just... You know, you have so many people around you making decisions, taking to places, and you keep saying yes to all of this because, you know, you want to become famous. You want to, not necessarily famous, but you want to, you have, you know, you want to be a star. You want to be a musician. You want to be an actress, actor. Uh, and you just say yes to these things because you see these things as opportunities. Um, so it, it's fascinating to me, and it's heartbreaking to watch the, uh, the, the documentary because you really see someone naive, innocent, uh, with a dream to become, a, a, you know, a performer, an artist, a singer, and then it just ends up, you know, she ends up where she is right now, which, you know, again, we don't know. I don't know. Uh, maybe she's somehow happy, or maybe she's not. Uh, I don't know. It, you know, I can't say. But, it, it, you know, based on what you watch and the documentary and everything, it, it's, it's a crazy journey. Uh, and you can, I mean, that you can see that that watching from from when she was little until when she become more famous, that you know it is a journey and it's not a pleasant one. Right. Um, and that's why she got to the point where she got where she smashed smashed that window. I think that's what we need to keep in mind. It's like how do you go from you know being innocent and want to be in being in nature to the point where you smash a, a you know a car window. Um, a lot of things need to be going on at that moment for you to do something like that. Uh, so anyway, I wish her well. I think she's extremely talented. Um, not necessarily my favorite singer, um, but she's, she's she great. She didn't deserve a thing of what no, happened to no. her, though. And, she didn't and, deserve any of it. No, and she was caught in the worst time when reporters were... I mean, I'm not saying they, they don't still do it, but it was a level that I had never seen before watching those interviews. Um, you know, the, all these talk shows talking to her, you know, reporters and, and, and um, talking to her. And the questions asked, I couldn't believe. And how do you get out of those questions? Yeah. You know, and it doesn't matter. Whatever you say, I, I remember Michelle Pfeiffer talking about that, like being interviewed and how she, uh, I actually put a link to an article about her. And um, <clears throat> the first question they ask her is that, I heard you don't like to be interviewed. You're scared of interviews. And she's like, yeah, because no matter what you say, you're going to be perceived so many different ways, right. you know, whatever you answer. Um, so anyway, which is very true. So you put a, a, a teenager in a situation like that. What is she going to say? When you when you pretty much telling the world asking her that you know about destroying someone's life right anyway anyway these are our thoughts yes and we so we highly recommend it it's a great document no documentary in the sense that it's informative uh, you didn't think that was great agreed so um, yes framing Brittany uh, FX on Hulu highly recommend. Interested in your thoughts on WandaVision and Lady in the Dale, if you've caught yes. any of it. And what are you thinking about this idea of the Sex and the City gals not all being best friends anymore? Right. Uh, so let us know. And we'll, until uh, next week, we will, we'll be back next week with anything that crosses our eyes or crosses our desks or piques our interest. But until then, take care of yourselves. Love you. Mean it. Bye-bye. Bye.